Good morning. Wow, faces. Yeah, if we all stay home, we never get to see them. At least not any different ones. I'd like you, if you have your Bibles, if you've got your phone, to open to Romans chapter 5. I have my phone here so that I can keep track of the time. Somebody asked me today, you know, why, why would you do that? Because I have actually gone for two hours. And you might not be prepared for that. So Romans chapter 5. Um, I really felt that God wanted me to read this this morning. Um, it is not what I was originally planning on saying or speaking directly about. But before we hit that, the couple, last couple verses in chapter 4 are talking about Abraham and Abraham's faith and how it was displayed through his works, his willingness to sacrifice his own son. So I'll start in chapter 4, verse 24. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, in other words, accounted, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace through God, through our peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." 
And not as if it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But for the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I praise God for his word, for his willingness, for his son, for what he's done. That his, his death on the cross, his suffering and his resurrection was on our behalf. He did that for us. Praise God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, for the opportunity to gather together in your house. To gather together in our own homes, to open your word, to hear it, to read it, to study it. Lord, give us the wisdom that's in it that we could apply it to our daily walk. Help us to have discernment, mercy, and grace as you have it. Help us, Lord. We need you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in church. I know this is going to sound trite and cliche. You are about to hear the most important message of your life. Don't kid yourself. When I start to speak and deliver the message this morning, you may sit here and say, I'm already saved. I know that. I don't need to hear that. You need to be reminded of it. You need, I need to be reminded of it daily, daily. What I was, what he did, what he did for me and for you. You and I have a duty, a job, a calling, a command of God that we share his word that we share his love, that we get up off our tails, out of bed, into the streets, over to our neighbors, maybe just into the bedroom next door to wake up your kid, your brother, your sister, and tell them the message that God has for them. It is a message of hope, but it's also a harsh message. Don't kid yourself. Don't think because you have salvation, that's it, it's over. I don't have to worry about anything because that's not the truth. You need to hear the whole truth, the whole truth. Sometimes that's a hard message to hear, but it is the most important message you will hear in your life. Listen to it, understand it, and apply it. Praise God, he has preserved his word for you and I, that you and I could come to know him personally for salvation and for life. Praise God, he was willing to do that for you and I. Today, there are four topics. They're all about life. The first one is death. That's a great great place to start the message, with death. The next one's about value, 
And then redemption and service. Think about those four. Remember those four. As I look at my own life, I wonder. I wonder. As I look around me, I wonder. As I look even at this church body here before me today, or those of you at home who are watching, I want you to look at your own heart, not just those around you. It's easy to see fault in others. You know why it's easy? Because that fault often was once in ourselves. We're familiar with it. We're comfortable with it, or we were at one time. So it's easy to spot those traits in others, and it's easy to point the finger and condemn others. Christ didn't condemn you. He saved you. Keep that thought. Death. I wonder, if I look at Christianity as a whole today, what do I see? If I look at Christianity just in my, in my home church, my group, my, my body of believers that are closest to me, I might see one thing because we're friends, we're relatives. We, we always greet each other nicely and, and seem to show care and love. If I look at Christianity as a whole, at other bodies of believers spread throughout my country, perhaps throughout the world, I might see something slightly different. Because my personal relationship isn't quite as close. I might be a little more harsh in my judgment of them. I wonder, in Christianity today, as we walk through life as Christians, how do we live it? Are we living in the dead zone? Think about that. Dead in action and deeds, we claim Christ, but we're not living proof. Are we living and dying Claiming salvation, but bearing no fruit. Are we the walking dead? We seem to know, profess, and live, but choose to interpret the word to our own comfort and convenience. I wonder, I wonder, how many of those I see outside, are they truly saved? Do they really know Christ for salvation? Because honestly... Looking at them from the outside, I'm not sure. I have to start with an honest self-examination. What am I doing? How am I acting? What am I sharing with the world? Death. It's not what you want to hear about. If you're watching from home, you might tune me right out. Don't. We're all going to face it. Each and every one of us. That is one thing about life that is absolute and real. Death. We're all going to come to an end. Some of us, some of us have faced it before. I'm going to tell you about a couple people who I saw face death. Kind of interesting. Kind of scary. One that comes to mind is a woman I saw coming down a side road at 70 miles an hour and made a 90-degree left turn, rolled over three times in front of me and crashed into the guardrail. Guardrail. The car ended up sitting upright, crushed and smashed with her inside. My wife jumped out to stop the traffic behind us. I jumped out, ran up to the car. She was hunched over the wheel, threw her head back, and was screaming, Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! And I grabbed the door and ripped it open. I told her, It's okay, don't move. She was bleeding a little from her head. As it turned out, she had severe internal injuries. And I tried to calm her, 
to give her some peace, to let her know she wasn't alone. And their next words were, my baby. And I looked in the back of the crushed wreckage, and I couldn't see a baby. I could see part of a car seat. I could see some clothes and toys. And I stood with her for a few minutes until the EMTs arrived. The next one I saw was on a highway, three lanes in one direction, and four or five cars in front of me. I watched a a full-size Chevrolet back from the days of the 70s when they were ships. It veered into the guardrail on the left, flipped over, and spun on its roof in the middle lane, finally coming to a rest under a bridge where it spun like a record on a record player, probably 30 or 40 revolutions a minute. I jumped out of my car and I ran up and got as close as I could without being hit by the car. And I could look inside and I could see the two kids in the back seat pinned against the window, screaming, Oh God! Oh God! And I could see their mother pinned between the front seat, the steering wheel, and the windshield, upside down, unable to move, screaming, Oh God! They all face death. Another one I saw was from the desert floor, just below Yarnell, Arizona. Yarnell sits, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 feet above the desert floor, and there's a highway that runs down the face of the mountains. It's almost completely vertical. At that time, that road was one lane in each direction, not a lot of guardrail, and it was just as it got dark, and I was in the desert floor, maybe a mile from the base of the mountain, and I happened, (laughs) it's funny, I happened coincidentally to look up at just that moment as this woman drove straight off the face of the mountain, missing the turn. I watched her headlights free fall for the first hundred feet. As she hit the first boulder and her car bounced like a billiard ball across the table, from boulder to boulder to boulder, and finally, about a thousand feet down the mountainside, She hit a boulder the size of a house head on. Can you imagine the terror of seeing that coming? And then it hits your windshield. What do you think she was screaming? Oh, Bob? No, she too was screaming for her Lord. God. What was it that she was screaming for? She was praying, hoping, wishing that he would reach down and save her. I don't know if any of them knew the Lord for salvation. There's another. Her name was Nikki. She was a friend. I'd known her for a couple years. She faced death on the operating table. As she laid there in surgery with her skull cut open, her brain exposed as they tried to remove enough of the tumor to give her just a little more time. She wasn't screaming for God. She was asking. She asked for just a little more time 
so that she could give comfort to her family and friends before she died. Quite a different outlook. You can face terror, you can face death in a state of terror, fear, anxiety, or you can face death with comfort, security, and peace. Nikki faced it with peace because she knew the Lord. When Nikki came out of that surgery, she tried to continue in her job as long as she could. And you know what she did every day when she came in? She spoke the gospel. She spoke it directly in words. She made sure that every person she met heard that message, had that opportunity to come to know him for salvation. Praise the Lord. He gave her that time. And she was willing to use it properly. Think about that. You and I, I know him for salvation. I pray that you know him for salvation. Do you? Do you truly truly know him? Do you act like it? Do you share his message with those around you? I face death too. Many of us here have, personally. When I faced it, I was a tough guy. I wasn't screaming out and afraid. In fact, I taunted death because I knew who God was. I knew what he could do. And I was convinced that I would have time on my deathbed to give my life to him. So he put me there. I did give my life to him. I wasn't a tough guy when he answered. I can't describe how I felt, how small, inconsequential, and how immense, overpowering, and yet loving he is. We're all going to die, and we get to choose how we go that way. Terror or peacefully, because we have confidence We can make that choice. God is true to his word. He says that salvation is open to all. It truly is. You and I have an obligation to let them know, to let the lost know there is hope in a lost and dying world. You and I live in a place that is filled with sin. Think about that. Filled with sin. No, not just a little. It's everywhere. God created Adam and Eve. Genesis 1.26, let us create them, him in our image. We are in the image of God. There's a lot that goes with that. Think about it. It's not just the picture of God. I mean, if we were truly all just a picture of God, what use would we be? No, he gave us the ability to think and choose and live and act And he gave us free will, free will, free will that led where? It led to sin. Here they were, Adam and Eve. God put them in a garden that met every single need they had. He walked with them in the garden. He spoke to them in the garden. He was real and there, present with them. And yet, even then, even then, they chose bad company, 
listened to bad advice and made bad decisions. Think about your own life. Have you ever done that? I've had bad company. I probably still have some. And I've listened to some of their bad advice and I've made bad decisions. But now, now that I know Christ and the Spirit indwells me, it gives me the ability to see right from wrong, to choose rightly, to please God, to show mercy and grace to others, to share the message of hope. That is the most important message. The message of hope in the gospel in Jesus Christ. There is no hope in this world. There is no hope in your neighbor, your boss, your friend, government. The only true hope lies from Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and the price that he paid for each and every one of us. If you're here today, if you're sitting at home watching, think about what I'm saying. If you don't believe what I'm saying, get a Bible. Read it for yourself. It's in there. God has preserved that word, his word, for you, for you to have understanding, to come to know him for salvation as Lord and Savior. If you don't have a Bible, find one. If you can't find one, call us here at the church. Grab one of us, a pastor, an associate, anybody here. We will get you a Bible. God's word is that important. The price that Christ paid has been paid in full. Think about that. You and I, as sinners, as lawbreakers, lawbreakers to what? The Ten Commandments? Absolutely. How about the cultural law and the moral law in the world that we live in? All of us sin daily. Think about that. I've been talking about how evil and terrible we are. What an enlightening message he has today. I like to think that I can do things in my own strength. I used to, as a kid, I might have had, I did have some heroes that were, the, the one that comes to mind today is like Rocky. Remember Rocky? Rocky Balboa? Oh man, what a, what a physical model. And his persistence. If he couldn't at first do it, he'd keep working on it. He'd keep practicing. He'd keep trying until he could, until he could complete it. I saw this neat little cartoon. Rocky's sitting there talking to Chuck Norris, and Rocky says, Hey, how many push-ups can you, can, can you do? Chuck Norris says, All of them. Now, it would be great. It would be great if life was that simple. It's not. For a time, maybe I wanted to be like Rocky. And then for a while, maybe I, maybe I wanted to be like Chuck Norris. But the reality is, I should strive to be like Christ. And falling short because I am not God, my next choice is Paul. Think about Paul. Think about what he was. If you think you can't be saved because you've been too evil, too deceitful, too sinful in your life, because you've done things you dare not utter aloud, Think about Paul who murdered and tortured Christians, who imprisoned them. If you think you are the only one in the world who knows what you have done, you are wrong. There are always others. They're the ones you sinned against, 
And there is always God, all-knowing, ever-existent, all-powerful. He knows. He knows what you've done. And even though he knows, he opens his arms to you in a hope that you will choose him over the world, over yourself. He has given us the keys, so to speak, to heaven. God knew you before the foundation of the earth. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, it says, Before you were formed, before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. He didn't just know you were going to be here. He knew everything about you then and now. And still, still, you can take that step. Open your heart. Confess your sins. Confess them to who? Some would teach you have to confess them to man or woman or just to the person that you sinned against. No, we confess to God himself. That is a recognition of us that we have sinned and we're admitting that to him, that we know it, we recognize it, we see that it was wrong. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it said there is one mediator between men and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. It is he who you have to confess to. And when you confess those sins, he asks that you turn from them. Turn away from your sin. Don't walk toward them anymore. Walk away. Walk away and put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you. Think about that. Your life has value. Value to the Lord. That first part that I just spoke about, that part of the value is for you personally. Because if you don't make that decision, if you don't choose to accept that free gift, you are bound for hell. You don't hear that from the pulpit too often anymore. Without Christ, we all are bound for hell. An eternity an ever-burning flame, pain, torture for eternity. Pastor Brent once did a message where they had a hundred or something feet of rope. And on the on that rope, they had a little piece of tape. And they said, that piece of tape represents your life, and the rope kind of represents eternity. To give you a picture of how small your lifetime here is, that rope does not begin to do it justice. That's 100, 500, 600, 1,000 feet long. And, and you, as a spot on that rope, are not even a millionth of an inch wide your entire lifetime. God exists for eternity. If you do not choose to accept his free gift of salvation, you will spend all of that time outside your little, your little line on the rope in hell, in pain and agony. You have value to God enough that he sent his only son that whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life. He so loved the world. Think about that. God so loved the world. Not God so loved Pastor Brent or Sam or Tim. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. What is God's wish? that all would come to know him for salvation, every single one of us. Praise God he was willing. Praise God he was loving and still is. 
that he is graceful and merciful. Praise God that he looks at us and recognizes and addresses and gives us value. We have value to God. Redemption. Think about that. Redemption. Why? Why would God redeem us? Because he is a just God. Because he is true. He is actually truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is just. God said to Adam and Eve, here, here is everything you need. Just don't, don't touch, don't eat from that tree. And the serpent came and he instilled doubt in Eve. He instilled doubt. He, he tried to and succeeded in making her faith waver just a little bit. I mean, after all, he surely doesn't mean don't eat that fruit. And she ate. She broke the rule laid down by God. There has to be a payment for that, a punishment. Well, mankind has been choosing for eons, and we've been making mistakes the whole time. Some of us, we make good choices often by accident. But when we give our life to Christ, something changes. Something happens to us. We are given his spirit. His Holy Spirit indwells us from the moment we accept that free gift. We confess our sins, we repent of our sins, and we put our faith in Christ. At that moment of putting our faith in Christ... We are indwelled with God's Holy Spirit. That Spirit allows us to make good decisions, to be able to see right and wrong clearly, to discern the truth very often. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Christ and the Lord, Christ the Lord, sees us as having value. We have value. He chooses to redeem us. He does that by paying the price for our sins. For all those times we've broken the law, broken the Ten Commandments, made bad choices, he has chosen to pay our fine. What's the fine? Well, the penalty was death. The penalty for sin is death. And death means an eternity in hell without Christ. So Christ in our place died on the cross. The payment in full for our individual sins and our sins as a whole if we accept that free gift. And what happens at that moment when we're indwelled? We have the ability to choose. We have the gifts of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
and love. Love. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Recognize that Christ loves you and gives you value. So how? In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, meaning all people, all believers. The Spirit is given to profit all. Now think about that. First, when you have the Holy Spirit, you're able to choose and do things you never did. You have the peace knowing that you will go to heaven, not hell, for eternity. And it's given to you to profit all, all other believers. How is it that you fit as a redeemed soul into the body of believers? How is it that you fit? Are you somebody who just comes and fills a seat once in a while or sits at home and turns it on on your computer or a television and that's it, I've done my part. This is the part that that I'm supposed to do, right? My gift is watching television? I don't think so. God has given us direction. He's told us how to use those gifts once we are redeemed, once we have given our lives to him. He has indeed bought us. He has paid a price for us. So what is it that we're supposed to do? How is it that we serve him? Salvation was the easy part. Think about that. It really just required you to have some understanding, to be willing to turn away from something and toward something good, and to place your faith in Christ. It's the service part that gets hard. You have faith. You're going to be saved. The Spirit indwells you. You should look different. If the Spirit indwells you, there should be a visible change, whether it's just in your countenance or whether it's in your actions. People who know you should look at you and go, hey, he's different. He's different. That's the guy who used to kick me every time he walked by. Now he buys me a coffee. Have you decided to make Jesus your Savior? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. I I did the thing and I made the prayer and yeah, yeah, he's my Savior. If you read his word, you notice it says Lord an awful lot. Why does it say Lord? What does it mean to be Lord? Same as master or king. Lord over your life. So you've made him Savior. Are you making him Lord? Are you allowing him to be Lord? Are you choosing to follow Jesus? Think about that. We need to think about that daily because we are sinful people by nature. We can still make our own decisions. We can make bad decisions. And it doesn't require us being in bad company or taking bad advice. We often give it to ourselves. Why? Because we're self-centered. We don't have to be, but we are. That's our nature, self-centered. Galatians 5.25, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What is it that the Spirit of God would do? If God was walking on earth, what would he do? How would he act? Get a Bible and read it. Oh, my gosh. Jesus was here. He is God. He did walk on earth. 
among his people and among those who eventually murdered him. Why did they murder Jesus? Was it because they recognized who he was? God, creator of the universe? Or was it their own evil heart, worried about themselves, thinking, hey, I'm in charge. I've got wealth. I've got a good name. I've got people following all my orders. Yeah, that would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And by the way, does anybody know the difference between the two? Well, the the Pharisees believe slightly different things than the Sadducees. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection or angels or the afterlife, and that's why they're sad, you see. Now, we're talking about remembrance as well. I want you to remember what you've read in the Bible. I want you to remember the message you've heard. A week ago, we had communion service here. A month before that, I had the, the honor of leading the communion service. And it breaks my heart every time I do that. I have trouble getting through a communion service. Why? Because I really do reflect on what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. I reflect. I look in my mind's eye and I see him suffering I see him bleeding. I see him dying on that cross. And I recognize what he did for me willingly that I could have life and fellowship with him. So what is it that God demands of of us? What does he ask us to do? He asks us to have faith. He asks us to repent and to follow him. You remember in Matthew, it describes how, how he picked his apostles. He was walking along and said, hey, you, come here, drop your stuff, follow me. Follow me. Well, let's follow Jesus. Where is he going to lead us? Where is he going to take us? How do we express that? Are we sure that's what he says, what he wants us to do? Let's look at all four Gospels for a minute. All four Gospels pretty much end the same way. In Matthew, it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So what is it he wants them to do? The end of Matthew, it's really clear. Get out there and share the gospel. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Do you know, if you have this choice presented before you today, if you're here today and this is the first time you're hearing the message, or the last time, or if you're at home and you're hearing this message, I want you to think about this very carefully. If right now you sit or you stand and watch and hear these words and you choose not to make up your mind of whether or not you will accept that free gift, you have made up your mind. You have denied Jesus Christ. Because if you die after hearing that, you're going to hell. Think about that. In Luke chapter 24, 
verses 46 through 49, it says, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, love thou more than these. In John's gospel, I'm not going to read all through it. But what does he tell Peter specifically? Feed my sheep. He repeats that message three times to Peter. Why? To bring to remembrance Peter's mind to the fact that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And each time Jesus responds with, feed my sheep. What does that mean? What's he saying by saying, feed my sheep? He's saying, teach them. Take care of them. Present your message. The message of salvation. Reinforce it. Grow them. Disciple them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember 1 Corinthians twelve seven, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. If we're here and we're believers, we should be talking to each other. We should be sharing the gospel outside these doors. We should be building up and encouraging each other, equipping each other, discipling each other, that we can do our Lord God's will better each and every day. Why? With the ultimate goal that all shall come to know him for salvation. Share that message. It is a matter of life and death. So how do we do it? What are we supposed to do? James makes it clear. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Don't listen to this message and kid yourself, Oh, I gave out a Bible in 1996. I'm covered. Doesn't work like that. You must continue in the work. You must continue to follow your Lord and Savior. In James chapter 2, Verse 17, it says, even so faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Verse 18, I will show my faith by my works. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Are we living in the dead zone? Jesus speaking to his followers in Matthew chapter 25 is talking about the goats and the sheep and the separation. And we are and should be his sheep. Verse 34 says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, 
Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When I face death, I'm going to go with peace. I'm going to go knowing he has prepared a place for me in heaven. I pray that you will go the same way. I look forward with a full assurance of the place I go and the company I'll be with. And I am so glad that he was willing. I pray that you are also. God did it for the whole world, not just some of us. With that, I'm going to close a word of prayer and then a closing song. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity once again to open your word. Lord, to grow closer to you, to have better understanding. Touch our hearts today. Help us to to feel your presence as we leave this place today, that we would feel it, see it, and live it each and every day, moving forward with you as our Lord, not just Savior. We thank you for your completed work and ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.